You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Listen, before we get started, I just want to take a second and celebrate something else. If you were here last week, you know, we celebrated uh, our church is part of the ARC Network of Churches. It stands for Association of Related Churches. It's not a denomination. It is a fellowship of churches that believe the word and want to see people come to know Jesus. And uh, this last Sunday we celebrated, you know, because of uh, faithful giving like yours, 20 brand new churches kicked off. They had their first Sunday in worship, which is awesome. And I got word this week, and it just blew my mind, that across those 20 campuses last Sunday, 241 people decided to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Like, can we celebrate that? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, man. It's all about, listen, we say our church exists to connect people to Jesus, and that's just another way that we get to see that happen. And it just reminds me of, listen, like, it's a reality that awesome things are happening here in this country and abroad. Sometimes uh, we get sort of lost in the, okay, what about this? What about that? And And then we don't understand that the kingdom of God is always going forward. God is always winning, even when we don't see it. So do me a favor right now. Turn to the person sitting next to you and just say, God is on the move. Go ahead right now. Yeah, it's true, man. It's true. You're on the winning team. Feels pretty good too, doesn't it? All right, so look, here's where we are in this series. Uh, Going forward in Revelation, we just have to set some things up because most of the the rest of the book, starting from chapter 12 onward, deals with spiritual warfare, the activity of the devil, the the work against the forces of God, and and God overcoming all of it, and the kingdom of God conquering evil. It's a big thing. But I just want to recognize something. that Okay, this is not the first time within recent months that we've talked about Satan. Like, we just did a series this past summer called Make War. And, And so here's what I would hate for you to think. I would hate for you to think that we're a church that's obsessed with the devil. Like, we're not. We're not, we are not a church obsessed with the devil. We are a church that is obsessed with Jesus. And we make no qualms about that. We love us some Jesus. And unfortunately, sometimes those two forces cause us, like, like, like there's a conflict between them. So we, we have to talk about the reality of the warfare that we're in. But listen, we are all about Jesus. I just want to make that clarification because, because I think if we don't, it leads to some unhealthy theology. You know, years ago, there was a book that came out by C.S. Lewis. It was called The Screwtape Letters. It's a great book, a little work of fiction. It's basically a fictional correspondence between two demons talking about how to destroy humanity and destroy people's lives. It's a lot of fun to read. In the beginning of the book, though, before it gets going, Lewis, he says, listen, when it comes to ways that Christians error in the devil, I think there's two big ones. One is to not pay attention to him at all and just kind of assume that, like, maybe there's, there's a devil, but I'm not going to think about it a whole lot and just sort of, you know, not give a lot of attention or not give any attention whatsoever. He goes, I I think that's a mistake. But the other is to pay entirely too much attention to the devil. To make your life always sort of like looking for signs. Is, is Satan involved? And like, like, like is, you know, is there a demon under this rock? Or, you know, my, 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 my tire went flat. Was that the devil? Like, to sort of just pay way too much attention. And in so doing, accidentally glorify the enemy of our souls. He says, I think, I think Satan is equally pleased with both of those. Like, not just paying too much attention, but also not paying attention at all. And we don't want to do that. And so here's my goal in the talk today. We're going to talk about the reality of of our enemy. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that we see God doing and triumphing over him. Here's my goal. My goal is not to freak any of us out. My goal is that at the end of this talk, we would actually erupt in praise to our God when we understand what he has done for us in regards to the work of the enemy. 
And so here's my hope. Okay, listen, I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again. We are white. We are not that white, okay? So uh, my hope is that you put your hands together, that you shout amen, that you celebrate the work of the Lord, because it's awesome when you understand what your God has done for you. That's where we're going today. So all that said, I want to begin this talk, and we're going to be in Revelation 12 today. I want to begin by asking one question, and here's what it is. How much do you really know about the devil? Let me say that again. How much do you really know about the devil? Now, most of us think that we've got a pretty good corner on things. But believe it or not, when it comes to American Christianity, many of us have picked up things about the devil that aren't actually from the Bible. Instead, what they're from is a 17th century poem by a guy named John Milton called Paradise Lost. A lot of it, like, and Milton was a Christian. He tries to tell this seamless narrative about Satan, the fall, and humanity. And many of us, like, just along the way, we've picked up theology that actually isn't in the scriptures. It's in the writings of guys like Milton. And so what we want to do is we approach the word and talk about demonology and talk about, like, what the Bible actually says about this is we want to let the, scre- or the scriptures speak for themselves. So for instance, many of us, like, the way that we picture the devil is all wrong. We think of, of Satan as being this, like, you know, guy with, like, like, the, like the red horns, you know, and the pointy tail and a pitchfork, right? And he's got, like, these, like, black mustaches just curling at the ends, you know, at all times. Like, it's not, that's not there. Many of us, we, we, we picture Satan and we picture him as, like, the ruler of hell, right? Like, we, we have this misunderstanding about the afterlife. We think it's going to go something like this. We think... Uh, incorrectly, like contrary to the Bible, it's about how good of a person you are. And so if, you know, if the scale tips toward you being a, a good little boy or girl, then you go to heaven and then you'll meet God there and he'll let you in. He'll say, you know, top notch, gold stars, right? But if you're, but if you're a bad little boy or girl, then what happens is the, the scale tips the other direction and you go to hell. And when you're in hell, you meet the devil who's the ruler of hell. And he's going to be like, ah, gotcha, sucker, right? And that's, a, that's what we think, that Satan is somehow like the ruler of hell. But you should just know that Satan's not actually in hell. In fact, hell's not where he wants to be. In, in Revelation going forward, like we'll see him end up there, but it's actually his final judgment. Satan is not the ruler of hell. He's actually on the earth right now. And we're going to see that. Hey, most of the stuff that we even understand about Satan, we misunderstand. So for instance, if I were to ask you the name of the devil or what the Bible calls the devil, you'd probably give me one of three names. For instance, you'd probably say either Lucifer, Satan, or devil, Right? And so we, we go, so like, what's the name of the devil? Lucifer, we think. And we get this from places like Isaiah 14. The problem is this phrase right here is not actually a name. It's a transliteration of a Latin phrase that came from Hebrew. It, what it literally means is shining one. Okay, it's not a name. Like, and that's something to understand. Whenever the Bible refers to this entity that we call the devil, he, he's never given a proper name, ever. Like, like Isaiah, his whole point is like, listen, like that he was glorious, that he was splendid, and then he fell. Same way like the word Satan comes from the, the Greek word Satan, and it just means this, adversary. It's a title. It's a description. It's not a proper name. Devil comes from the, the Greek word diabolos. It just means this, slanderer. And so, you know, he doesn't, like, the scriptures never give you a name like, like Bill or Chuck or, or, or you know, Sharon. Or, like, he, it's just not there. And I think, I think this is the significant of something, by the way, that names are reserved for those who are in association with God. So, for instance, you'll find, like, when God creates the man, he names him Adam, right? And then when, when Adam is working in, in accordance, like working for the Lord, remember one of the things that God uh, entrusted him, he says like name the animals, right? It's part of like his relationship with God. Okay, well, Satan's outside of that. And so this, this entity is never actually given a proper name in the scripture. Most of us don't know that. And so we just think of it 
I think, all wrong. So let's let the scriptures actually speak and teach us instead of us approaching them. Well, obviously, it says this. Maybe it's not as obvious as we think. So all that said, Revelation chapter 12, here's what it does tell us. In, in, in Revelation 12, verse 1, it says this. A great sign appeared in heaven. Now, this is significant, by the way, okay? Everything that John's about to say, the reason he says sign is this. It's all symbolic, okay? So, so this idea of it being a sign, like, and John's even at one point, he's going to go, listen, I say this, and what it means is this. So understand that, okay, like he has this vision, but it's, but it's symbolic of a greater reality. He says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. So who's this woman? Some people, I think, mistakenly, because like we'll see that the Messiah comes from her. Some people mistakenly interpret this as, as the Virgin Mary. Now, let me tell you why that, that doesn't work. Okay, for a couple of things. Number one, like we'll see her later go out and live in the desert and be like uh, twice actually in, in Revelation 12. And she's, she's provided for by God. We have no record of that ever happening to Mary, like ever. But I think, I think the description of her tells us exactly who she is. Okay, this, this idea of her having a crown with 12 stars on her head. Well, okay, what, what does that mean? 12 stars. I think she's symbolic of the people of God, Israel. Okay, you've got the 12 tribes of Israel. Like they, they are from whom the Messiah has his lineage. I just think it's a better... Uh, reading of this text. And so it says this, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now check this out. But then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads, which I think we can all just agree sounds like the cover of a Metallica album, right? Okay. All right. But what's going on here? Well, here's what you need to understand. Okay. Okay, so you've got this dragon that, that's this big, it's got all these different heads with these crowns on it. What's it symbolic of? It's symbolic of this, that Satan is a ruler on the earth. Now, I know that's not necessarily a popular idea that, okay, like that there can be, you know, when you have governments and peoples who are going away from God, that it's not just human beings whose hands are on them. There's actually a spiritual force at work behind them. And I'm not making this up. Look, here's what Satan says about himself when he's talking with Jesus in Luke 4, the temptation of Jesus. He says, then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And what does he say about it? He said, he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. And by the way, Jesus would know if this isn't true, right? Okay. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. And he goes, and listen, if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Satan is not the ruler of hell. He's a ruler on the earth, which is weird <laughs> and kind of crazy. But, but this idea of, of of our enemy. Let's, let's just check that. And so what happens next? Well, in Revelation 12, it says this. Its tail, talking about the dragon, swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Now, this is tr a traditional Christian understanding. When it comes down to it, like um, stars are usually biblically symbolizing of angels or heavenly bodies. And so the idea is that when Satan fell from heaven, he took a third of God's angels with him. It's okay, so like when it comes to demons and the demonic, what are they? They are former angels, that they have rebelled against God with the enemy of your souls and mine. So a third of them fall with him. It says this, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. And now what John is doing is he's beginning to give you a spiritual understanding of the behind the scenes of the life of Jesus. Now, if you know Bible history, you know what he's talking about here. Like, particularly the Gospel of Matthew talks about this, okay? Like, that when, when Mary's about to give birth to Christ, you remember this story? And, like, and Jesus enters the world, there was King Herod, right? And, and King Herod was jealous of the idea of there being a Messiah. So what does he do? He has his soldiers go into Bethlehem and kill all the little Jewish boys. 
Remember that? Same idea right here. Okay, so like what, what John would say is, okay, listen, Herod did that. That was real history, but ultimately it wasn't Herod who was behind that. There was, there was the, the enemy of your souls and mine who was actually pushing that forward, okay? And so he says, listen, he tried to devour the child, he says, but she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule over all the nations with an iron scepter. So he tries to kill Jesus before uh, his, his work is accomplished. He fails. And so it says she gives birth to a child with an, with an iron scepter and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And so what John does now is he bookends the life of Jesus because there's, there's something in the heavenlies that he wants to tell us about. So he, just want, he, he gives us enough to know what he's talking about. Okay, so you've got, you've got child born, okay? Enemy tried to destroy him, couldn't, but now, okay, he, he rose up in heaven. Okay, but what about all the stuff about like the, the miracles and all the teachings and the cross and the resurrection? Like, like why isn't that there? John would say, because it's not relevant to what I'm talking about right now. Like, all I want you to know is, okay, listen, there was a child who came from the people of God. Okay, he, this is, he's going to be the Messiah. He rose up into heaven, and now here's what happened when he got there. And so it says this, verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Fun fact for you, biblically speaking, the wilderness is symbolic of the, the provision and protection of God. Like, we hear wilderness, desert, we think death and, and, you know, sort of an arid, bad place. But usually, like, when it talks about, like, people who relate to God, like, think about the Israelites in the wilderness. It's a place where they're molded by God, provided for by God, cared for by God. Elijah, same way, when he, when he runs from Jezebel, he goes into the wilderness. God takes care of him. But here's where things are going to get tricky, all right? So you've got the son, like, the Messiah, Jesus, who's been born, who goes up into heaven. And now our Satan timeline is just going to go all wacky. Because many of us don't get it right. Here, here's, here's the Satan story that most of us have picked up along the way. It goes something like this. All right, Satan was an angel. Check. All right, then he rebelled against God, whether that be from pride, whether that be from him trying to have a rebellion. I'm not sure, but okay, like he, he was an angel. He, 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 he rebelled against God. He took a third of the angels with him. Then there's a big war in heaven, right? This was before the world existed, like before there were human beings, like before the creation of us, like there was a big war. Satan rebelled against God and then they're cast to the earth, right? And ever since then, Satan and God haven't been on speaking terms and he's just like trying to destroy things. And, and that's the story that we're told. Yes, like that's the story you've been told, right? That, that, that's the timeline. Before there was a you and me, there was Satan in heaven. He was bad, cast down. It's over one day. God will end the war. The problem is, is that when it comes to the text and timeline presented here, that view doesn't work. It's partially there. It's just incomplete. So, so, so what we have to understand is that, no, actually, actually what happened was this, um, that Satan at one point, like he fell from heaven, but he didn't stay out of like communication with God. Because if he's the adversary, the, the prosecutor of our souls, what he would do is he would then like accuse God of us over and over and over again. It's why as you go through the scriptures, Satan actually has conversations with God. And you wouldn't expect that. So I'll give you an example. The book of Job, chapter one, like before all the stuff happens with Job. But here's what it says. Job 1, 6. On the day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. Well, wait, how would he get into heaven? Like how would he be allowed to be there if he's been cast out? Well, it, the timeline isn't as simple as you might think. That, okay, for a time, he was allowed to go before God and accuse the brethren. Again, like think about it this way. At the Last Supper in the New Testament, when Jesus uh, is talking with his disciples and Peter's like, you know, I'll never deny you. And Jesus is like, yeah, about that. Um, <laughs> do you remember what Jesus says to Peter? Look at this, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. Well, how, how does that work? I mean, like how is Satan making requests of God? 
Well, the, the answer is this. He wasn't completely removed. Like, like he, he lost his prominence. He was clearly an enemy of God, but he was allowed to accuse the brothers and sisters. And so you have in Revelation, okay, the child who is the Messiah, he enters the world and then he ascends up into heaven. And the very next thing that happens when Jesus arrives in heaven is this in Revelation 12, 7. Then war broke out. Well, no, but like the war was before all of us. Well, one was but there's more than one. Then war broke out in the heavens and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And by the way, you might be like, why doesn't God get involved? Cool, because if God got involved, there wouldn't be a battle. Like he's not the, he's not the, like the yin and yang with God where he's equally powerful. Like he can't hold a candle to him. All right, so Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But, John says, he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. Like place in heaven? That they had a place in heaven up until Jesus ascended after the cross and resurrection? Yeah. Well, but, but how does that work? Well, how it works is this. Up until Jesus, Satan could make a case against you and me. Up until Jesus, the, the devil, even though he's the enemy of God and the things of God, he had the, the right as the adversary, the accuser of the brethren, to stand before God and go, listen, you should condemn so-and-so, you should remove so-and-so, you should judge so-and-so, you should bring out your wrath on so-and-so. And what he was saying was technically true. But when Jesus died for your sin and mine, all of that became obsolete. And so look at this. He says this, the great dragon was hurled down. And John's like, guys, just in case you can't figure out who I was talking about, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan <laughs> who leads the whole world straight. You know, that guy. All right. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. But look at this, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For, he says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. There's no place for it. Let me say it this way. The lies of the enemy no longer mean anything. The accusation of the enemy no longer means anything. I'll tell you, tell you this way. Okay, so this past week, this past week, um, I was in my prayer time with Jesus, and it was on Thursday, and, um, and I'm sitting there, and I just felt this, this, like, like, let me just pour out my heart to God, like, whatever, whatever I need to ask for prayer for, let me just do that, right? And so, and so I'm sitting there, and, and one of the, the, the lies that I just perpetually carry in life, and I don't know if, if you've ever had something like that, where there's just, like, you know, cognitively, it's probably not true, but for whatever reason, it just, it sticks with you over and over and over again. Like, one of the ones that, that sticks with me is this, this belief that I'm somehow a bad father. Like, that just, that just messes with me. I, I had no evidence for that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm there for my kids. I'm not abusive. I'm attentive. Like, I'm invested in them. I build them up. But, but, but it just keeps coming back over and over and over again. So I'm sitting there on Thursday, and, and, and I'm like, and I just pray out. I'm like, you know, like, am I doing enough? You know, because, okay, like, okay, I, I spent the morning with them. I, I you know, I, 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 read, I read to them for like a half an hour this morning before school, but, but we did watch a TV show for 20 minutes instead of me playing with Legos with them or, or G.I. Joe. We don't even have G.I. Joe's. Maybe I should have gone and bought them like G.I. Joe's. It's like, like, what I'm doing good enough, you know? It's just, it just keeps lingering over and over again. So I'm sitting there and I just pray, I'm like, God, would you make me not be a bad father? And instantly it was like the Holy Spirit just spoke so clearly to me. He just went, have I ever dealt with you like that? And I knew what he was saying. Like, this idea, listen, in my interaction with the Lord, in 20 years of following the Lord, has he ever once, when he dealt with me, convicted me about anything, been like, you're nothing but a this? 
Like to put a label on me, to, to remove a place. Like I, when I counsel couples and, and help them in marriage, I, I always like tell them, like, be specific in your grievances. Like, like, like if you're using words in your marriage, like always and never, you're not fighting well. And here I am with God being like, I'm always this, I'm always that, right? I never do this. I never do that. And never is a big, broad target. And so here he said, like, do I, have I ever dealt with you like that? And the answer is no. Like, whenever I'm convicted about anything, it's always like a pulling. It's always like a, a heartbreaking. It's never this like general broad target that I can never attain. But there it was. The accuser of my soul who has this habit of making his thoughts seem like mine. Are you with me? But here's what this text is saying. Listen, he's been cast down. His word means precisely nothing. Because God, in his mercy in Jesus, has made it so that, so that he doesn't have a place to argue before him anymore. You are so radically forgiven by Christ. You're so radically restored to the Lord. And I want to show you how much. Look, if you're somebody who, like me, struggles with guilt, and this perfectionism, this, I'm not doing this enough, I'm not that enough, and it's always enough, and fun fact for you, that's everyone ever. Well, I could do this more. Yeah, so could everyone ever. If you're somebody who struggles with guilt, I want to give you some verses today that I pray just become life verses for you, that you would just take them into your heart, you would soak them, bring them to your core, because they're going to speak to this lie that so many of us buy into, that, okay, somehow for God, we don't measure up, and we're like, God's keeping us at arm's length. If maybe we were better, if maybe we were this, then maybe he'd want us. And it's a lie. And so look, before I even get, I'm going to tell you what they are so you can write them down and then we can read them together. So look, if you're somebody who struggles with guilt, shame, what have you, here's some verses I want you to know exist. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. All right, just write it down. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. That's okay. If you're somebody, okay, listen, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And you're like, okay, but yeah, God, but, but 20 years ago I did this and I'm so sorry and I keep coming back. Listen, this is for you. If you're somebody, hey, hey, if you're somebody who, since coming to Jesus, have placed a standard on yourself that goes something like this. Okay, yeah, you did that before, but you're supposed to be perfect now. If you've placed that lie on you, you should, you should just know I've never met a Christian who, after they came to Jesus, didn't struggle with something. Never met them. Listen up. These verses are for you. And so here's what they say. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Check it out. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were dead in your sins, in other words, when where you were with God meant you could not possibly do anything right. Let me say it this way, okay. All of us are born with what's called a sinful nature. It's not about us having like a moral code that we just live up to. Instead, it's about a condition of the heart. And what Paul would say is, listen, when you were born, where you were for most of your life was this. You lacked the ability to follow God. So even when you thought you were doing really, really well, you were rebelling against God in all kinds of ways and you were storing up wrath for yourself because you were dead in your sin. You did not have the ability to make it right. It, it's like, um, I don't know, <laughs> let, let me say it this way. Have you noticed... This has been my experience, maybe not yours. Have you noticed that dead people are not good at chores? <laughs> right? Like if you, if, if you have like a corpse at your house, you're like, could you vacuum while I'm gone? Chances are good the vacuuming is not getting done. All right? Okay, now here's why I'm bringing that up. Okay, when it comes to doing things for God, that's how we were. 
it wasn't I'll just do this, I'll just do this, I'll just do this. No, I was dead in my sin and so were you. But, he says, God made you alive with Christ. Meaning, okay, just like okay, Jesus' body didn't resurrect itself, God the Father raised him from the dead. Just like okay, at the end of the world when God raises all the dead and it's not us just willing ourselves awake. Okay, the same way, God made you alive. He saved you independent of you. He brought you to spiritual life. Okay, so it wasn't about, okay, I'm going to do this now. I'm just going to resolve myself now. No, it was God saved you before you had an ability to even want to be saved. He brought you to life. He says, and he forgave. How much? All of our sins. All of them. Okay, well, okay, but what about the ones that I committed last week? Yeah, those two. Okay, but what about the ones like that I committed 20 years? Yeah, those two. He forgave all of our sins. He picked up and took away all of it. And so if you're sitting here like, okay, but God, like, you know, that's nice. And I can believe in your grace for, for someone else, but they, but they don't, they don't know what I did. I, like, I, I can hear what preacher's saying right now, but, but okay, listen, you know that skeleton in my closet and, and you know how ashamed I am. And, I, and, and the way that I'll make it up to you is I'll just punish myself more and that will make you love and accept me. Hey, are we, am I preaching now? Okay, like I'll just make myself miserable. And if I do that, then that'll show you how dedicated I am and how much I want to turn my back on my sin. And Paul would say, listen, listen, you were dead in your sin. It had nothing to do with that. It wasn't about you just beating the crap out of yourself. And then that would make God say, I love you. No, no, you were dead. But you know, while you were dead, God saved you and got rid of all of it. All of it. And here's how much. And you, oh my gosh, this is good. Like this next verse, I almost made a series just to get to this next verse. <laughs> I almost did a Colossians series, even though I only wanted to do these three verses. And I was like, I feel like that might not be the best use of everyone's time. So we're just going to jump for this next verse. Oh my, okay, look, here's what he says. Verse 14. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Here's, what it, here's what's going on here. Okay. Paul is using a word picture in Greek that we don't pick up in English. So, so let me just sort of break it down. Okay, so we're about this, this phrase that we translate our legal indebtedness. All right, uh, It's the Greek word kairographon. All right? And what it's talking about is, is a legal document in the, in the first century, like what people do, let's say like you owed money or you were, like you were locked into a contract of some kind, you would handwrite, like you would sign it, like basically a legal IOU, I owe you this, whether that be behavior, whether that be money, whether that be allegiance, okay, I'm gonna, I will sign this, and it's this type of word, chirographon, all right? And so what Paul is saying, listen, we had hand-signed a contract to God that basically, like, we don't measure up, we owe God something we haven't given. And every single one of us, you and me, we've all done that. Like, God deserved this from me. I didn't give him that. All right. And so listen, he said, that's our legal indebtedness. Like, like if there was to be a case made against us, it's on paper with our signature there. But this other word right here, canceled the charge. Okay, like canceled. The word we translate as canceled is uh, exalephon or exalephan. All right. Here's the neat thing. I know some of you care. So look, um, here's, here's the thing to know with it. All right. There's an action behind that. Maybe your translation is blotted out. Here's the idea. So in the first century, when you had documents, they weren't written on paper like we have today. There were different materials that were used. One of them primarily was what's called papyrus. It's basically, it was reeds that were pounded flat. Okay? And when you wrote on papyrus, the ink that they used didn't have any acid in it. And so what would happen is this. You'd write on it, but the ink wouldn't soak into it. It basically just rests on the top. And so let's say you're hurting for paper. What you could do is you could grab a sponge and you could just scrub it. And now you have, it's like a brand new sheet of paper and you can write whatever you want. All right, that's the, that's the nature of it. And so here's what Paul is saying. Okay, like where we were, we had this hand-signed document. This is what we've done. This is what we owed God. But God blotted it out. Meaning God came in with this, this, this document that showed everything that we had ever done wrong and he scrubbed it clean. So it was like a blank sheet of paper. 
Now that's huge, okay? That when it comes to like, here's my history, here's my this, here's my that, this is how all the ways that I've gotten it wrong, Paul would say, listen, don't you understand? God has wiped your record clean. To the point, and now we see the ridiculous over-the-top mercies of God that he took then that he then took that blank sheet of paper and nailed it to a cross. So he didn't just get rid of all recommend, like all record of it. He then took the very sheet of paper that had the thing that said we had done wrong and destroyed the sheet of paper. That's what, that, I mean, just think about like, the overwhelming grace and mercy of that. Okay, like I know you did that. Like you've written it in here. Okay, but now I'm going to scrub it all away so there's no record of it ever existing. And on top of that, the thing that had the record of it existing, I've obliterated. Like so, we can just say this. Like, if you want to understand how forgiven you are, if you want to understand how overflowing the mercies of God are towards you and me. It's simple. It's so good. You just need to take this in here. If you struggle with guilt, listen to this. Write this down. You are so thoroughly forgiven by Christ that it is as though you never sinned to begin with. Yeah, come on. It's not God going, well, you did that and let me down. I guess I can maybe find it in my heart to forgive you later on. But we think that, right? Like, okay, if I've done this, then God will keep me at arms. No, the blood of Jesus speaks so strongly, it's as though the very thing that you're ashamed of never happened. Would you ever feel guilt about something that you didn't do? That's who you are in Christ. That's what your Savior has done for you. Okay, but I'm this and I did that. According to this, no, you didn't. There, there, there's, there's no case to be made against you. And so with that in mind, this is what Paul writes next. And this is in complete alignment with the Revelation passage that we read. He said, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, meaning literally God took all their ammunition against you away. (laughs) Disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, meaning God humiliated Satan and his work because what he did was this. He goes, listen, you you have no case anymore. Like like the cross of Jesus is so scandalous that he removed anything that the adversary could bring up against you and me. And it's really embarrassing if you're Satan. (laughs) He made a public spectacle, not by a little bit, but by triumphing over them on the cross. Now, here's the fun thing, okay? Here's the fun thing. If we understand who we are in God, what it tells us is this. The enemy has no room for accusation. Let me say it this way, okay? So when I was 16, um, I had been driving for less than a year, and I got in my first car accident. Have you ever like, been a teenager, gotten in a car accident? It's, 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 it's crazy, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen. Like, like, we're going to jail now? Like, you don't know, right? And so I was backing out of a friend's driveway. While I was backing out, I went faster than I should have. And there were like these bushes I didn't see. And a truck came up and clocked the, 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 the back right side of my, it wasn't my car, it was my mom's car, all right? I, and, and so I get out and like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, I'm so, so. Even though like they, they gave you the, the insurance card, which is weird, that says like, don't admit fault. I was admitting fault left and right, man. Like, so I got like, it's all, bro, it's my fault. I am so sorry. And the guy gets out of his truck. He goes, it's all good, buddy. It was, this wasn't even my truck. Like, he, he didn't care. So, 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 so we're sitting there, and while we're talking, a police officer comes up, and he writes down, okay, like, exchange info, okay. And, and he comes up to me and goes, listen, um, just because, you know, you did this, I'm going to have to put a couple points on your, I'm going to give you a ticket, put a couple points on your license, because it's technically reckless driving. So just, uh, you know, your insurance might go for a little bit, but that is what it is. Well, perfectionist Bert would not stand for that. So I decided to appeal. So, so we went to court, went to the courthouse in Georgetown, right? My dad, me, and, and, a, and, a, and a lawyer friend that he had who was doing this for free. Um, 
went in and I stood before the judge, you know, and, and there was me and there was the prosecution on the other side. This is the stuff that Netflix dramas are made of, right? Right here, like Bert getting off from a, from a traffic ticket. But here we go. So like, you got, you got the, uh, the prosecution over here and they've made their case. They've got it all sort of, you know, here's what we're gonna do, right? Here's how we're gonna get this guy who caused minor damage on the back of a 92 Subaru. Anyways, that's what we're gonna do here. So look, all right, so. They go, all right, Your Honor, we'd like to call our first witness. And they say the name of the guy uh, whose truck I hit. And they go, okay. And they call him. And nothing happens. Because he didn't come to court. Like, he just didn't show up. I said, okay, all right, all right, all right. So then, Your, Your Honor, we'd like to call Officer so-and-so, the, the police officer who came, uh, who, who wrote the report. So they call him. And nothing happens. Because he didn't come to court. And so now the prosecution's in a, in, a, in a tizzy. They're like, okay, well, what do we do? Like, we, we, everything that we were going to do to bring up with this guy, um, we can't use. And so the judge is like, well, all right, look. She goes, um, just drive more carefully in the future. Good? Yeah, okay. Case dismissed, points gone. Done, just like that, all right? So now, now you look at it like, cool, all right. Here's why I'm telling you this, okay? When it comes to your record before God, this is how thoroughly he has put things in your favor. Number one, he removed all the case, all the ammunition of the prosecution against you. Then, and this is where it gets really good, what we've just seen in Revelation, he then kicked the prosecution out of the courthouse. Yeah, right? Like, like with the war in heaven, the, the dragon being cast down, literally there is nothing, nothing, nothing to be brought up against you and me if we are in Christ. That is what the Lord has done for us. And so it says this in Revelation 12, 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They, they didn't just win, they triumphed. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So if we're saying, okay, well, how do we have victory over the enemy in this life? It's really, really simple. Here's what we do. Okay, how, how do we overcome the devil? We hold on to Jesus until the end. That's it. I mean, he's our standing with God. He's our place. We don't give up our witness of him. We don't like turn from him to other gods. We don't turn, no, no. Like, how do we overcome the devil? We hold on to Jesus. Like you would cl cling to a life preserver in an ocean. You cling to Jesus. He is your hope. He is your strength. He is the source of your standing with God. He is the source of your righteousness. He is the source of your record. He is the source of your hope. You cling to Jesus until the end. And for the ones who are sitting here today, and you're hearing all this, and I've given you scripture, man, but you're still just going like, yeah, but this. And you can think of all these reasons for why God shouldn't accept you. I would just caution you to understand something. And it's the words of Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God, listen to me. If God is for you, who are you to, to try and correct God? Like if God is the one saying, listen, I, I've forgiven it. It's wiped away. It's gone. I've thrown it into the ocean. Like what audacity do you have in your heart to be like, no, you shouldn't forgive me. Like he's God. He's the just judge of creation. Like who in the world would we be to hold on to the very things that Christ has died for us about? And I want to give you an opportunity today. As we wrap up, I, I just get this sense, okay, that some of us, we came in today and we're striving. We're trying so hard. Like, I just want to please God. I, I just want to love God. I just want to make my life about God. But you are aware of all these areas in your life that you know, like, okay, well, I did this so God shouldn't. Do you understand God has never behaved towards you the way that God should with you earning something? 
And so I want to give you an opportunity, like whatever you're, you're carrying, whatever guilt you're carrying, whatever shame you're carrying, whatever occasion you're carrying right now for like, like oh, I know God's mad at me about this, and I know God doesn't want me, and I, listen to me, God isn't mad at you, he wants to save you. Will you let him? Will you accept God's grace and forgive yourself? So I want to just pray with you and give you, I just hand over to him whatever you've got to hand over. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just go to the Lord together for a moment. Father, we seek you in this moment. We ask you, please, would you give us an awareness, a renewed awareness of your spirit? Would you let us know the love and grace that are ours in Christ? Lord Jesus, we thank you because only through you is there salvation. We thank you because you died for our sin. You rose from the dead to give us new life. And God, we're asking you for that new life right now. Holy Spirit, for my brother and my sister who who in this moment, oh my gosh, for the one who right now is putting this out of mind because they feel too ashamed to even pray. You see them. You love them. Right now, I... If that's you, I want you just, 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 just hear this word right now. The, the Lord would say, just come to me. Just come to me. He lo- listen, he's not mad at you. He's longing to restore you. Lord, we recognize that of everything, you are the one that we have ever sinned against. And if you don't hold it against us, who, who are we to hold it against ourselves? We thank you because you have so thoroughly scrubbed our record it's as though it never happened to begin with. And we glorify you in this. Like, what are we that you should pay such attention to us? But you do. You look at us with love. Right now, okay, like, whatever you're carrying, I, I just get this, this, this sense from the Holy Spirit just to say to you, just lay it down. Just lay it down. Like you're carrying a thing, just literally just take it off of you and sit it down. Give it right to the Lord. Just let him have that. I pray against the lies of the slanderer. I pray against the work of the enemy right now in the name and authority of my Savior, Jesus Christ, the living and righteous one. We silence those lies in Jesus' name. We silence the accusation. We silence all the evil that's been brought against us and we glorify in the Lord. Father, we thank you for this forgiveness, this mercy, and this grace. It's in Jesus' name that we all pray. Amen.